Well, hello, CMYK community, and welcome to another CMYK Talk podcast. My name is Matt, and if you're jumping in with us for the first time, just want to say welcome to you. I'm so glad that you found us, that you chose to just kind of dip your toes in the water with us and figure out maybe what this CMYK community thing is all about. We are a community that's based out of Billings, Montana, and we believe in a better way for us to interact with the world, the people, stuff around us, the divine. We would call it the gospel. There's a good news, a good way for us to go about things. And so this is what we are about. This is what these podcasts are about. Everything that we do uh, is really driven to point us towards and invite us and others into this kind of life. We believe that there's holistic beauty found in these things. And so for the last few weeks, if you're just jumping in with us, we've been talking about, okay, what is this more beautiful way? Because we've got this target. We're headed somewhere. We don't just use these big words like beauty and significance and a life that matters lightly. We really have an understanding or belief that we think that looks like. And for us as a community, we've defined it as a target that revolves around four things. One is that we believe our invitation is to be present, then to be honest, then to be open, and then to be the embodiment of love. We believe that in these four things, not only is a more beautiful and holistic life found for ourselves and for others if we can do these things, but that also we find the divine, that God is found in our work of being present, being honest, being open, and being the embodiment of love. And so if this is where we are as a community, we thought, man, rather than just like say this is who we are and what we're doing, maybe we should regularly have these moments, this rhythm of stopping and asking ourselves a question, how are we doing? Are we actually working and processing through these things well? And so that's what we've been doing these last couple weeks is just kind of dealing with each uh, separate issue. So being present and then being honest and being open and then being love this week. And then on top of that, more than just talking about it, inviting someone within our community to just share what their own work and wrestling match with this idea has been like for them. And so it's, man, so many good uh, stories that have been shared. So if for whatever reason you haven't listened to the previous podcast, go back and listen to the present, honest, open uh, so far, because all of them are so good and so worth it. Uh, But today I'm so excited as we talk about this idea of what it means to be love, to to be the embodiment of love, uh, just to be able to uh, share the story and introduce you to someone that I think is just an incredible individual. Her name is Heather, and uh, she's going to be here uh, in a little bit. We recorded the podcast from one of our Sunday gatherings, so we're going to tag that on in just a little bit. But first, before we get there, I want to say a couple words about what we mean when we talk about this idea of be loved, because love is a squishy word. Love can mean so many different things, especially within the context of a faith community and within a church, because many of us have heard this word love used in so many ways, and it doesn't feel like love. (laughs) You know, they say, I'm just doing this because I love you, but there's a part of us that's like, man, it kind of feels like hurt and pain. It kind of feels like scars are taking place here. It kind of feels like abandonment. It kind of feels like belittlement. It does not feel like love. And so for us as a community, I think it's important that we talk about it. And and to jump into it, I just want to say really quickly, this is by no means an end-all, be-all conversation or thought on everything that it means to be the embodiment of love, because this is such a nuanced, deep, large issue uh, that we could really talk about this week after week after week after week after week, and in many ways, maybe not even scratch the surface on some things 
So today, just fully recognizing, we're not going to tackle everything. There's a text that uh, has been really kind of significant to me these last few years. It's found in the book of 1 Thessalonians. It's in the New Testament of the Bible, and there's this letter uh, that's written called 1 Thessalonians to this group of people, this church, and some of the words that are used by uh, the author of this letter, I think are just really important and significant, specifically for us as the CMYK community, when we talk about this idea of what it means to be loved, for us to be the embodiment of love. And so knowing that this isn't the end-all, be-all conversation, I just want to jump in and just say, hey, I think there's some good words for us here, and then we're going to jump into Heather's story and conversation. This is what the writer of 1 Thessalonians says to this group of people, this church, this community, a few thousand years ago. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting at verse 9. He says, Now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that, indeed, is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. This I find great. That the letter starts out with, hey, come on, pick it up, do better, do more. But actually, this section of the letter starts out with, man, this idea of brotherly love, this idea of caring for one another... You guys are doing so good. It's so beautiful to see what's happening. And then on top of that, he adds in this idea that we didn't have to teach you about that because you've been taught by God. In other words, there's this like divine, intuitive part of who you are as a community that you are moving towards this idea of love. I love starting out there when we think about this concept of being love as a CMYK community, because in many ways... I would just communicate a lot of the same things. It's so beautiful and so good to see many of the things that are happening. And the people that are intuitively working to care for and love the people around them in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of heartache, in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of need. There's so many things, so many situations where I could just spend the rest of our time just pointing out, man, you guys are killing it. This is so great. Now, I know that might not be everybody's experience, and if it's not, let us know, because we're working on it. We want to be the embodiment of love, but I just want to start off in the same place that the writer of this letter is and saying, man, the CMYK community, it's such an honor to be a part of this thing and to feel the embrace and love of you guys and to be a part of embracing and loving those in need around us. But the author is not done. He says, but we urge you, brothers to do this, brotherly love, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Now, this is a text that deals with this idea of brotherly love. And in the author's urge for them to do more and more of this idea of love within their community, he has some things for what that looks like. And it revolves around four things. He says, I want to see you increase more and more in this brotherly love. So live quietly, mind your own affairs, work with your hands, and be dependent on no one. I think there's so much beauty in these four things. If we could grasp them, understand them, 
that it's in this that we could find our lives becoming a better embodiment of love for those around us, which is the goal of this text. So first we see there's this idea of learning to live quietly and to mind your own affairs. Out of this kind, these kinds of texts, particularly this text in many ways, there's been this two different things that have kind of grown culturally. One is this idea of quietism. Quietism is seen as you just focus on you. You don't worry about what's going on in anyone else's life. You don't try to be concerned with anybody else. You just focus on you. And even in focusing on you, you don't really talk about you. You just are quiet about what's going on. For many of us, this was our parents' generation or maybe our grandparents' generation. It was just a quiet kind of life because it wasn't uh, accepted. It wasn't proper. It wasn't polite to talk about what was really going on in your life or to ask questions about what was going on in someone else's life. That idea and concept for many Christians and believers, it comes out of texts like this. Is this what's being talked about? Another thing that's come out of texts like this when we look historically is there's guys like Antony the Great who took this idea of mind your own affairs, live a quiet life, and believed that the greatest spiritual work that he could do was to go off into the wilderness and be alone. And Antony the Great, about 200 years after Christ, was one of the founders, if not the founder, of this idea of a Christian monk, a monastic kind of life where you avoid other people and you live in, you live by yourself. This is living quietly and minding your own affairs, yes, but is this what's happening and the invitation of what it means to brotherly, have brotherly love towards the people around you? A few days ago, I had a conversation with uh, some friends of mine, and uh, it was a meeting about some business stuff, and I went into it knowing that it wasn't going to be fun, <laughs> but by the end of the meeting, uh, it was not only uh, not fun, it was incredibly draining. It was hard. It was difficult. And it was one of those meetings that I got done after two hours of having this kind of conversation, and I was exhausted on every level. And there's a part of me that didn't even understand it because I was just sitting there talking. (laughs) But there were so many difficult things that were being said, that were said to me and about me that was just so hard that I walked away and I was done. I was just exhausted. And the only thing that I could think about in that moment when these two friends of mine got up, left the room, and and we're okay, we we got through it, just so you know. But, (laughs) But when they left the room, there was this thing in me that all I wanted to do was find my computer, open it up, and go to YouTube and watch videos reviewing uh, Apple's latest products. Or I wanted to go to YouTube and find the latest film trailers that I could just veg out in front of. I wanted to go to Netflix and continue on my pursuit of the latest show that I discovered. That's the only thing that I wanted to do. What's happening in that moment? Because there's something going on inside of my heart. There's something going on inside of my head. And everything in me is looking to avoid it. To move away from it. And to not mind this affair of what's happening within me, but to actually get away from it. I ended up making a a couple phone calls. Called my wife and called a good friend of mine just to process and talk about it. And when I was done with those phone calls, there was something in me that was, oh, okay, I'm okay, we can do this. What happened in that moment? 
I decided to mind my own affairs. But I have so many, I have so many moments where I don't do that. You know, there's moments like literally, I can't tell you the number of times I'm standing at a urinal in the restroom. And for whatever reason, I've been doing something and I go to the urinal and there's this anxiety, this question, this doubt, this thing that I know that I got to deal with, that I don't want to deal with, that starts to rise up in my mind because I'm just standing there and I got nothing to distract me in front of me. And in that moment, I'm at the urinal and I'm like desperately, oh no, grab my phone, hurry, put something in front of me because I don't want to deal with whatever anxiety, question, doubt, work issue, problem is rising to the surface in me in that moment. I've had so many times where I've had a rough day at the office or a rough day where things are going on. And the only thing I want to do is call my buddies and friends and get people around a fire pit at night to just joke and laugh and have a good time because I don't want to deal with what's really going on. Is there not something to us where we can avoid minding our own affairs? Because we know that there's work, there's questions, there's doubts, there's fear there. And so we spend our time and energy avoiding. I can't tell you the number of times I've come home and in my own affairs, there's something relationally going on between Kate and myself. And, you know, we had a conversation that didn't end well, or it just didn't end. And so there's some some tension in the air. There's some question in the air, or maybe things are just not good between Kate and I. And everything in me comes home at the end of that workday. And my natural response is to look at Kate and say, I'm sorry, I've got to work more tonight. Because I know that if I work, and, and maybe I do, but I know that if I say that, I don't have to actually deal with what's happening in my household. I don't actually have to deal with what's happening in this situation. See, I don't know that this idea of gossip or social media lurking that happens is as much of an issue because we just really, really love that stuff. We just love talking about other people. We just love seeing what's going on in other people's. But I wonder if it's because we have affairs that are going on in our life, weights that we're carrying, things and anxieties that are happening, and everything in us is just trying to avoid the reality of our inner life, our home, our work relationships, whatever it is, and we're just looking to get away from it. And what I find so important about this text is The writer says, if you're going to increase more and more in brotherly love, it starts with minding your own affairs, dealing honestly with what's going on in you and around you. We live in a culture where the idea of love can easily be sending money somewhere overseas or a hurricane in the South. And yes, this is a loving act, but to increase in brotherly love is not to just send more money to people that you don't know. It's to interact with, mind, and deal with what's going on in the lives of the people that you actually do know. See, I I believe, because I see it in my own life, I have a far greater chance of knowing what's going on and what uh, has come out of the mouth of a guy like Donald Trump then I know what's really going on with my best friends, with my family, 
because I know what it's like to spend a good chunk of my time and energy reading, processing, watching what someone like Donald Trump has said, or my favorite artist and musician, a celebrity has said or worn or done or what's been going on in their life. I have a far greater tendency to live my life there than to mind my own affairs. And love starts with seeing who and what is going on in and around you and recognizing those things and beginning to deal with those things. This is our start of greater and greater love. So the question is, what's in front of you? What's going on with your friends and your family, your neighbors? What's going on at your workplace? What's going on in this faith community at CMYK? Do you, do you understand what's happening? Are you minding the reality of those things that come up for you when you step in front of the urinal or go to the restroom, wherever that place is for you that you feel like, oh no, I need my phone? Because we all have them. Are you actually dealing with it? Because this is our act of love. From there, uh, there's this idea that the writer says to mind your own affairs and work with your hands. Again, I think this is really, really important because we, we have this idea that love is something that we think about and something that we feel first and foremost. But as this is a passage about love, the writer has to say, hey, just so you know, if you're going to actually love people, it starts with what you're physically doing in the world. It, it starts with what you're doing with your hands. And one of the dangerous traps is that we just get caught in this idea, no, love is something that we think and that we feel. And so I love that person. I love these people, this organization. I love this relationship, whatever it is. But how many of us have had moments where someone's accusing us of, you know, doing something, saying something, and there's this part of us that goes, hey, wait a minute. Like, but I love you. Like, well, don't say that about me. I love you. What's happening in those moments? We've just lived in our head and our heart potentially, and our actions, our hands have not created this kind of love and this force and this work in the lives of the people around us. Because love and our lives are defined by our hands, not by our head and not by our heart. Yes, those things are part of what love looks like, but it comes out and it's seen through the way we physically interact with the people around us. And so if we're going to love and we're going to increase in this love, we've got to ask ourselves the question, what am I physically doing and how am I physically living in the world as a loving person? as a loving community, not just in our heads, not just in our hearts, but what does that look like physically? So it starts with our own affairs of understanding, okay, here's what's going on in my family, here's what's going on in the relationships around me, here's what's going on in my life. What is my physical work in these areas to love these people and what's going on? To not just feel love towards my family, but to spend time and energy and exert myself to show that love, to serve and give of myself for them. Because love, and in, in especially I think this is seen in friendships, love is not a passive thing. It's not something that we just can scroll a social media feed, know what's going on in someone's life and feel like, yep, I love them, got it, I know what's going on. This is not love. Love is found when we physically exert ourselves within that relationship. And so we're calling we're sitting down for coffee. We're sh at least shooting a text. How are you? You need anything? These kinds of physical works in the world. It's not this passive observance of other people's lives. And so the question, what are you working on? When it comes to your relationships, what are you physically doing to love the people around you? Friends, 
your work relationships, your family, your spouse. I would even go so far as to say that this is one of those moments for me within Scripture that points towards your art, your creation, and creativity in the world is an act of love because you're creating something. And I would connect it to this idea that many times the art, the work that we're creating as artists, it comes from, the truest stuff comes from what's going on in our affairs, the things that we're carrying around us, good or bad. And so what are you creating? And art is not just found on a canvas or on an instrument. Art is you and the way you're interacting with your kids and your family. Art is the way that you're choosing to interact with your work relationships and your friendships. It's art, what you're actually physically creating. Because art, creativity, relationships, your work is an act of love. Work with your hands in the physical world. Do not let this thing just get caught in your head and your heart. And finally, we see this invitation to be dependent on no one. The idea is this. A loving person is someone that is understanding what's going on in their household, in their own lives, in their own affairs. And they're choosing to do something with their hands, their physical energy and life towards those things. And it's in that work that they believe that they have enough. This is one of the most foundational values, staples for us as a community, that we believe that the invitation of Christ is to say that we have enough, to turn the tables from rather than being someone that's always looking at, I need more, 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 then I can do something. I need more, 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 then I'll be happy. I need more, 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 then I'll be content, whatever it is. No, we just believe wherever you are and whatever's going on, there is this embrace of the divine that invites us to say, I have enough. And now I can turn the tables to be someone that is actually working to give rather than just needs to receive more. This is the heartbeat of love. And this is the heartbeat of seeing yourself as someone that can deal with your own affairs, someone that can bring some work with your hands into the world the way that you physically love and interact with people around you. It's driven by this idea that I have enough and I'm not waiting for you. I'm not trying to, you know, see this happen. I don't need more money. I don't need more fame. I don't need more recognition and power. No, I just get to be someone that is bringing love. And this can feel like a really quiet life. Because to just mind your own affairs and to just work with your hands and physically love the people around you And to do it in such a way that isn't making a big hubbub, but it's just quiet, small, believing that you have enough. There's not very many platforms for those people. There's not a lot of applause for those people. But this is what love looks like. To be the embodiment of love, it feels quiet. I think this is why people with platforms and people that are trying to just go for more people and get more people to their thing and these kinds of things, it can have this tinge sometimes that it 
it loses this feeling of true, honest love. Because love at its core is quiet. Love at its core is not driven by more. It's driven to just give and be dependent upon nobody. And someone that I think that is is working really hard at that, as I said, is this incredible person named Heather. And so we're going to jump to her story. Um, so uh, one of the reasons that I, I really wanted uh, you to share when I invited you was um, many times this idea of love, and we kind of talked about it, it revolves around these grandiose schemes. And like, I went to Africa and lived there for six years and ate only you know, bugs, whatever it is, and it's like, oh, man, that's, that's love. And it is. There's nothing. But, but you, in your work, are regularly wrestling with this question of what does it mean to be the embodiment of love here? And we all have jobs and works and lives that we're going to tomorrow on many levels, and it's our question. So I thought you would be a good one to just share your process and journey of what that looks like. So first, what do you do, and how does this interact with what you do? So go for it. Thanks. You're right. This is a really big topic and one I could probably spend, we could spend a long time on. Uh, so it is in no way comprehensive <laughs> today. But uh, I'm a licensed clinical social worker and I work in the school district. So I'm a social worker at West High. And now I'm supposed to talk about love in that. What does it look like? you want like? me to go next? Yeah, okay. go for it. Okay. Uh, so I guess the easiest way to think about it for me, I brought some notes. I don't know if I'm going to need them, but I'm going to set them right there. Uh, is to kind of think of it like a funnel. And I like your what you were talking about before I came up because I, I was thinking love is sort of a way of being, right? It's a way of being with someone. Um, but to think of it kind of from the macro to the micro a little bit, uh, one of the things we know about therapy and um, emotional and treatment of our brain health and our emotional well-being is the therapeutic relationship accounts for about a third of the outcome, which is a pretty big chunk of it. And that's double the particular modality you use. So there are certain modalities that have more research to support how effective they are. So if someone wanted help with a certain issue, I might suggest a specific modality because more research supports it. But ultimately, what's more important than that is the relationship that the therapist and the client can cultivate. And there are a lot of parts of sort of being, sort of that being sort of a loving, loving way, I guess. Um, so as, as someone with a lot of tools, I, mm -hmm. I mean, to, to dumb down yeah. what you just said mm -hmm. in some ways, uh, I'm going to try to assume that I knew what you're talking about on some levels. The idea is that... I want it to be clear, so okay. please help me like, if I need all to these clarify. Tools, uh, yeah. All these mm -hmm. tools because of your schooling and, right. and you know, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, the best mm -hmm. tool that you have... Mm -hmm is for you to be mm -hmm. loving yep. and create a relationship with that person. Yep. So of the it, part of it that the therapist has an influence on, the relationship is what's going to make a difference. Yeah, yeah. Cool. most important part. Good. Yeah. So how's it going? You're just killing it on every level? <laughs> Not every day. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying, yeah. <laughs> like everybody else. Yeah. Get up and bring as much of my sort of generosity and good energy mm -hmm. of myself I can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so... I, we're not going to talk about any specifics of, of yeah, students yeah. or anything, obviously, right. but a typical day for you is showing up at the office, mm -hmm. and are you seeking out students? Are students coming to you? Is it a little bit of both? And then you're just spending time interacting with students and trying to to love them mm -hmm. and bring these tools in the, to help them find wholeness and health. Yeah, um, it is both. The, everybody, most of them have like a scheduled day and time every week to meet with me, and then I'm available too if... 
something just falls apart in their life and they just need someone at that time, then I'm usually available for that too. So it's a mix of both. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you probably, um, w one of the reasons that this was fascinating to me to talk to you is because you, it's not like you meet with a student and in that moment it's, we did it, we're done, <laughs> solved, problem solved. But a lot of your work is just this continual mm -hmm. thing. So how does that affect you? Is it just part of the job for you, or has it been difficult for you to, to realize and see some students probably go forward, some students go backwards, and, and wrestling with that part of things? What's that like? I feel like the sort of little by little, sometimes interaction by interaction or week by week process of it is part of what makes it really rewarding because it's over the course of that that the relationship develops, which is one of the most rewarding and satisfying parts of my job. So I actually think that's one of the best parts of it, I suppose. And you do see ebbs and flows, and that's just part of it. But um, I think the, yeah, the little by little part, as you see a relationship and a connection grow that you feel like is helpful, um, that's really where it becomes rewarding. Yeah. So we're a bunch, not all of us <laughs> are uh, going to do the work that you're mm -hmm. going to do sure. tomorrow, but we're all engaging in families and friends mm -hmm. and work um, as someone that is intentionally trying to, to love people mm -hmm. on a regular basis, probably have a job description that might define that clearer than uh, an IT professional, let's say. Um, what would be your counsel, advice, thoughts for us as we move into it? Because we don't have the bag of tools that you have. Yeah. Let me think for a sec. Okay. <laughs> One of the first thoughts I had as you were formulating that question is um, this notion and do a little name dropping this morning, but um, there's one famous social worker. We were joking at a training the other day that she's like the only famous social worker. Brene Brown is her name, and she's, uh. social workers know lots of contributors to our field, but Brene Brown sort of permeated popular <laughs> culture more. She's got some really viral TED Talks, and the, I, I encounter a lot of people outside my field who know Brene Brown. And in one of her books, her I think it was her most recent one, she has a long section about this idea of um, whether or not people are doing the best that they can. And ultimately, herself kind of concluded that everybody's doing the best that they can. Even if it seems like in a certain situation, um, their best might be woefully inadequate. Um, it, I think that we're able to be more generous and sort of be loving if we can try to remember that everyone's doing the best they can. Mm. Um, so that's part of it, I guess. And are there then tools I, that you would bring to what is it? I mean, what does that look like to remember yeah. that for you? Is okay. it just write it on your hand or, uh, you know, put it on your forehead <laughs> so people are reading it to you all day? Like, what, no. what does that look like for you? No, I think it's just trying to touch base with it when you need to. If you can get, you know, if you can kind of get in that habit. Um, what else was I going to talk about that? Um, I think the other thing, and this is more from the work side of things than the personal side, but... Um, one of the sort of ideals of social work and values of social work is the dignity and worth of every person and just remembering, you know, just remembering that and we're all doing our best. And then Brene Brown also talks a lot about um, like empathy and, and sort of trying to tap into a part of us that can relate to a part of them. I think when we can do that, we're more generous and loving also. Is there a Brene yeah. Brown? I know she's read a, or written a couple books. Is there one that you would recommend mm. over the other? No, I haven't read all of them. Okay. So, okay. no, her TED Talks are a great place to start. Just Google her. TED Talks are amazing. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, so the other aspect of this that we talked about is the idea that you spend your life sitting across the table from somebody giving. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and part of the reason we have be love with D in parentheses is because yeah. part of the work of to be the embodiment of love is to be able to be loved yourself. Mm -hmm. So is that difficult for you? And if and and what does that look like? I guess would be the question. Yeah. Okay. It can be. I think it can be difficult for all of us. And I've given um, a fair amount of thought the last few days to uh, things that make being loved hard. And um, and I also gave a lot of thought to like things that make loving hard. And my conclusion of when I was thinking about all those is there's like a million things for both of those. <laughs> I feel like there's a million things that make it hard to love sometimes and a million things that make it hard to be loved sometimes. And it's love is really central to, to being human and it's one of our most basic needs. And yet sometimes it's the hardest and it can be the thing we bungle the most, whether it's a professional or just trying to be a loving friend or in a romantic partnership, it can be, it's what we need the most and yet it can be kind of the thing we get tripped up so easily on. So to kind of go from like the, um, kind of the heaviest things that, that, that make it hard to love to the lighter things because there's a segue to another topic I want to bring up okay. for the lighter things. But um, I think the the heaviest thing that makes it hard to be loved, and Brene Brown talks a lot about this too, I really like her, um, is just when we all have little spots in ourselves that maybe we're not proud of, um, maybe they're sort of painful spots or just little places of shame in us. And when someone we're in a relationship does something that like, yeah, hits that spot, then we don't respond generously and with warmth and love and acceptance. We tend to respond with maybe defensiveness or withdrawing. So when we get a, you know, a little spot that's been hurt in us or that carries some shame about ourselves, we can get, it makes it hard to take in love, mm -hmm. even though maybe they don't mean to do that, yeah. um, but it can make it hard to take it in. Um, yeah, and then I think that can touch, I think Carrie mentioned it in the, about the music and the art this morning, about not feeling like you're worthy of it, which made me think about my topic today. I think those little spots, when we get when they get we get a zinger there, uh, we cannot feel worthy of of the love someone's trying to give us, and that makes it hard to to take it in. So do you you just are you you need to just be honest about that spot? How do you, how do you recommend processing that or dealing mm -hmm. with that? Um, yeah, if you can be. Uh, yeah. that's a hard thing in a relationship. That's a pretty vulnerable thing to try to do yeah. in a relationship. And I also think sometimes that experience is so emotionally powerful, sort of bowls us over, and we don't know when it's happening that that's what it is. Okay. Sometimes we don't know right away. <coughs> so <clears throat> shame can be one of the like one of the things that can really get in the way in yeah. between, in, inter interfere with a connection. <coughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. If you can, I mean, I think the best thing to do if you... That's an ideal, though, if you can really... Be honest about that, and give the the other person a chance to soothe that yeah. a little bit. That's ideal. Or maybe maybe it's not them in that mm -hmm. moment, but it's at least maybe you can kind somebody. of soothe yourself a little bit. You soothe yourself, yeah. or even mm -hmm. find somebody that you can mm -hmm. uh, talk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She, Renee Brown talks about the antidote to shame is like it can't survive in sunlight, right? Mm -hmm. So acceptance and empathy and connection is the antidote to shame. Actually, it's what heals shame the most. So again, shame's getting in the way of love, but love is what makes it better. Mm. So. That's beautiful. Does that make sense? So, yeah. So then the micro okay. level, this, this, this segue. Yeah, just the sort of lightest part, <clears throat> I guess. And when I was reading your points up there, I appreciated you expounding on the last one about be dependent on no one, yeah. because that was the one of the four that was the most challenging for me. Hmm. And I just sort of was like, hmm, it'll be interesting to see what 
he says about that because that was the one that was the most challenging to me when I think in terms of love. Because our culture, I think, fosters, I can't, I don't know about everywhere, but in America, I feel like we put a lot of, um, a lot, it's an ideal to be independent. I think we tend to think that being independent is a strength and being dependent is a weakness. Yeah. Um, and so that was interesting to me to think in terms of like not being dependent on anyone because I think we're just sort of born dependent and it never goes away. Yeah. yeah. So that would be a segue into romantic love, but if you want to talk more about friend love and brotherly love and <coughs> the other loves. Uh, I'm, I'm a little worried about want. time to go okay. into romantic love because okay. I'm going to have a lot of questions okay. uh, that I hope you can help me with because I need a lot of help on the romantic love piece. Um, I can refer you to someone. Yeah, well, my wife <laughs> got would some probably names. be the first one. Um, <laughs> got some so, names. Um, let's, let's land the plane here. Okay. Um, we're doing this because we're asking ourselves the question, how are we doing on this level? Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're someone because of your position and, and work and knowledge. I would love to just hear you say, here's how we're doing as a community. Because mm-hmm. uh, Heather uh, and her husband Mark are on the leadership team, so they're kind of a part of a lot of the inner workings. So just how are we doing? Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, just give us, you know, one, one thing that you'd say as we go this morning. This is, this is what, we can, what we can work on, and this is what I would encourage you on. And I know you've said a lot of that stuff already, so maybe it's regurgitating something. Mm-hmm. That's fine, but just clearly and concisely... This is how we're doing, and this is where where we need to go, what we need to do. Okay. I think um, one of our strengths as a community is present and honest and open, and then also this notion that we're okay with doubts and struggles and that we'll sacrifice narratives for the sake of authenticity, right? And I think that 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 being okay with that sets us up, if we're, we're okay with it, it's community, sort of as a community, then we're okay with it with one another. And that sets us up to be accepting and supportive of one another and just be, um, without an agenda, just be with someone if they're having a, a struggle or a doubt. And I guess that's another thing to just mention about love is I don't, I think when we're bringing ourselves to be with someone in a loving way, we don't have an, <coughs> we don't have an agenda yeah. other than being with them. And so I feel like being open, open to doubts and struggles and putting a high priority on authenticity really sets us up um, to not have an agenda for one another and to just be loving to one another. I think that's one of our greatest strengths as a community. Cool. I have a personal bias there, though, because it's like one of my favorite things about CMYK. So. That's why I put you up on the stool, because it just <laughs> helps us. I like it. So, cool. Any parting words? I was thinking uh, last night about... It's been... I just feel like we've been through so much in our country the last several weeks, and gosh, you could go back a few months and list off things, but I, I think I was thinking about the natural disasters and the flooding and the shooting in Las Vegas, and I was thinking about this talk this morning and about how it felt really comforting for me to tell myself last night to just remind myself that love prevails, whether that's um, standing in line for hours to give blood in Las Vegas or sitting with someone and choosing to say, what happened to you instead of what's wrong with you? which is a really big part of, yeah. of my job, and I think it's a big part of being there for anyone, yeah. whether it's, it's giving blood or trying to love someone in a moment with them when they need it, or what Jesus did for us. It, love prevails, and that was, that's what makes it so significant. I love it. You're just pointing us right towards communion. That was beautiful. Thank you. Right. Can we give Heather a round of applause? Thank you so much, Heather, for 
Sharon. He's awesome. Beautiful. Um, so as we <laughs> prepare to receive this uh, Eucharist, this Thanksgiving, this meal together as we close, uh, we ask ourselves a question, how are we doing? And what does this look like for us? And uh, obviously, I think Heather was just a, a fire hose of information on a lot of levels. So uh, grab her and, and chat with her if you want. Um, but are you are you minding your own affairs? Are there things going on that you need to recognize this morning and and to come to this work of love? Christ's body broken for you, his blood shed for you, is to take that step. Are there works with your hands that you need to start doing? It's lived in your head and heart and you need to work on. Is there a way that you need to turn the tables in your life and say we have enough? Or whether that's financially, whether that's with your time, your energy, just a mindset, whatever it is, I'm here to give and serve because love is a giving force. So we're going to play a song through the speakers this, and um, as we normally do and invite everybody to come and wrestle with this question and also receive this act of love, body broken, poured out for the suffering of the world, that we remind ourselves this is what we're about and where we're headed this morning. So, and then we'll close our time.